get to James, that's where we'll be. I'm sure you were wondering. I wonder where we'll be today. Um, Here's one of the reasons why we teach through books of the Bible, is because um, really then the Scripture sets the precedent on what we say and what we teach and what we talk about. Um, So like, there's a whole lot of antidotes out there to like how to overcome impatience and how to overcome like waiting. Like when we don't want to wait, like we'll try these six things. Um, and uh, it could be real easy for me to get up here and be like, hey, here, here's some ideas about how to endure. Even like, uh, like a, in a godly sense, here's some ways about how to endure until like the Lord comes back. But James is like, this is kind of towards the end of his writing in the book of James. And he's kind of summing it up. And what do you know about the end of a letter? It's like you, you end with what's most important. And so as he begins to, as he begins to end his letter here, he's, he's hammering through. Here's some really important things. The last few things that I have to say to you, and, and this main thing is, has to do with waiting and enduring till the Lord's return. Um, and it's pretty amazing some of the things that he's going to point out here about how do we be a people that wait. Um, and so last week, if you remember, you can look down in your Bible Last week was about what? About guarding against like the lure of money and the lure of riches and the lure of stuff. Um, better yet, it was put this way. Don't live your life in luxury and self-indulgence. Right? I was talking about, I got called out for talking about a couch because I guess somebody wanted to buy a couch and I kept talking about a couch last week and so I bring it up again. Um, as if that's ungodly, because it's not. Um, but like the lure of stuff. So, so the, it was this warning last week, and this week is like the, the alternative. So like if we're not to be a people that lives in luxury and self-indulgence, then what are we to be? This is going to be your favorite part. A people that waits. It's like, really? That's not what I want to do. It's not who I want to be. I don't want to be a person that has to wait. Okay, but here's what James is going to argue for, is that the antidote to this lure of, I want more, is that we'd be a people that learn to wait on God to provide. Um, Now, here's the crazy thing about waiting, is we live in a society that's, like, instant, right? Like, um, instant gratification, like, if you want it, you can pull it up on your phone right now. I'll be talking with the kids and asking them questions, and they'll be like, Daddy, ask Siri. Like, she knows. So, like, they love talking to Siri, She's got all the answers, and, you know, it's like the word from the Lord, right? Um, especially, what does the fox say? Let me try that one later. Don't do it now, because we'll all hear it. Actually, maybe, no. Um, but in this instant society, right? Like, so no longer, it's the beauty of camping, because, like, you get the open fire, and you've got to take time to get the fire going and cook the food. Like, you know, like, forget that. Like, we have a microwave. Just zap that hot dog, because that'll, that'll kill all the grossness in it, and then it'll be healthy, right? Um, we're in a society that's like, I don't like, we like waiting in line. What if we didn't have to wait in line anymore? Right? Like online orders, right? Or like remote orders. So I can put in my order and I can walk into the restaurant and it can be sitting there waiting for me and I walk out, like, which is awesome. I'm not saying that's ungodly by any means, but that's the culture we live in that's like, I want it now. I don't want to have to wait, right? So like Amazon Prime, like today, well, maybe we can get some drones that's like within two hours that that package can be at my doorstep. Right? These things aren't necessarily wrong, but like even since like the Industrial Revolution and the change of 
culture and the, uh, the Industrial Revolution bringing about change in how we manufacture things and make things, we live in a society that's about faster and quicker and is anti-waiting. And there's some amazingly great things about that, right? Some great benefits and blessings and ways that even the kingdom of God and the gospels have been advanced through that. But like anything, with the good you have the bad. And, and so we live in a culture that's very anti-waiting. Um, well, if, if, uh, if there's one thing that comes in my mind, partly it's the time of the year, but partly it's just what I've spent a lot of time doing with waiting is this hunting. So um, throw those pictures up. I, I took Tobin, my five-year-old, hunting for the first time uh, yesterday, Friday night. And this is his first time ever hunting. He's never been out in the woods hunting um, where we could actually um, bring home some meat to eat. And so um, I took him out hunting. And when I was growing up going hunting, this is how we did it. Like uh, we packed our bags and we took a jar to pee in um, literally, and uh, we packed breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and we climbed up in the tree before daylight, and we were in the tree until dark, and we ate, and we went to the bathroom, and we waited for that deer that never came, <laughs> and like, I remember growing up, like, I'm like, why do I love hunting? It's because I sat in trees for years and never saw anything, and it was like, you know, like, what do you do but, like, dump hot chocolate on the squirrel that's climbing up your tree because you got nothing else to do? Um, that's another story. But um, so I had to wait a long time. So this is Tobin's first time ever. We get out in the woods. It's like 2 o'clock. And we're in the stand, like, 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, this deer comes running over. And he's, like, he's like at the edge. And he's, like, looking. And it's over in the woods. And, and it wasn't necessarily anything we could bring home that day. But it was, like, like first time, 15 minutes in the stand. Like, there it is. And then it kind of wandered off, and so we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. A couple hours passed, and you see him there. He's got some sticks and some rocks, and I'm like, buddy, you got to stop throwing them down. Like, you're going to scare the deer off, you know? Like, um, he's playing, and playing. He had my phone for a while, and he's playing, he's just waiting, he's just waiting. And he's like, Dad, when are they going to come? I was like, I don't know, buddy. We just got to wait. And here's what was awesome is he's like, Daddy, let's pray. I'm like, it's a great idea. He's like, let's pray that God would bring a deer. And so we prayed. And uh, it's cool when God answers your prayer. Sometimes he doesn't. But literally 15 minutes later, I'm like, buddy, buddy, come here, come here, come here. There's a deer. I'm like, get ready, watch. And I told, I warned him because I was like, buddy, just so you know, because he'd never been in this situation. I was like, if I shoot, it's probably going to scare you because it's really loud. So I brought him over and he's literally standing right here. And I'm literally right here. And, uh, Show that next picture. It's not of the deer, so don't worry. For those of you that are like, oh. so he's pointing. This was post, post-harvesting. And, uh, and so he's pointing, and uh, he's, he's just excited. He's just excited because um, what we'd been waiting for, and he was like, Daddy, is this going to happen? Like, are we going to see anything? Are we going to get to bring home anything? Um, sorry if this is difficult for those um, anti-hunters, but we do eat our meat. Um, and so uh, this is the first time he's ever gone, and uh, it doesn't, I'm like, buddy, it doesn't always go that way. It doesn't always, it's not always that great. But, um, but here's what's crazy is a lot of times with waiting, sometimes like there's, there's the joy of experiencing it, right? It's like you wait, you wait, you wait in line or wherever, you, wherever it's at, and then it's the joy of like, ah, it's finally here. 
right? And a lot of times the endurance, what James is going to talk about here is that where we fail to endure, we miss out on the joy of faith. Because a lot of times we just want to bail. Like, when it's like an hour in, we don't see anything, like, let's just go home. Well, I grew up with a dad. It's like, no, we don't go home. We stay in the tree. We pee in the tree. We eat in the tree. All in a little seat that was super uncomfortable. And um, Look at James 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers or brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Um, patience is hard, isn't it? Um, so this word patient has several different connotations that I want to kind of unpack here to kind of get our minds around this idea of what it means to wait. Um, one, of the, one of the ideas or the word pictures for this word patient is a picture of a physician that's treating the severe chronic illness, right? And maybe even with an unknown about what the result will be, but just patiently working and working. If you've ever been around someone that's sick or ever been sick and been seen by doctors, there's this, this perseverance that has to happen and a, and a waiting for the medicine to take place, for the medicine to work. So that's part of the picture. Okay, another part of the picture is a steadfastness, like a soldier in battle who has to endure hardship. Right? There's a patience there. There's a waiting until the goal is reached. This one, I think, is one of my favorite. Is, it's like a swimmer out in the middle of the sea who's patiently enduring the hope of the shore. Like, that's the word picture that we're talking about. We're talking about patience. So what James is wanting us to see is that patience isn't just this easy sitting, but what's tied very, very closely to this idea of patience is hard work. It's like, ugh. Well, I don't, can, we do, can we go another direction? No, that's what he's talking about. Is there's a hard work that has to happen to endure so in waiting is work. Um, the Hebrew idea of patience was this, like, you might, might be familiar with this idea, this delay of God's wrath, right? This, like, the coming wrath of God. Um, and so it's, as, as one um, theologian put it, it's, uh, it's like the, what, the middle between the two poles of God's wrath and God's mercy. It's what's called the long-suffering of God. The patience of God to endure even our sin. Um, but when James says, be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord, what he's talking about isn't this, like, conjure up, be this hero as we wait on God. But what he's saying is, is that it's a work of God in the hopes of God's return. Because look at what the passage says. Come now. That's the wrong one. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. It's hard, right? Waiting is Hard. So James is going to unpack several ways to wait. What does it look like to wait? Um, let's keep reading in verse 7. We're going to see the first one. The first one's using the illustration of a farmer. What does it say? See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Now, I don't know that I would call myself a farmer, Although I've, like, planted some stuff. Does that work? Can I call myself a farmer if I've planted some stuff? Um, so, like, gardening or, um, like, 
planting grass, trying to grow grass, right? There's so much of this illustration. What it's talking about about this farmer is that there's hard work in sowing seed, right? Because we're people that like, we just like, let's just go buy it. Like, what, like, what do we need? Let's just go buy it. Let's just have it shipped to the house. Like, I don't want to wait to sow a seed and wait for it to come up. The illustration that James is wanting us to see here um, is this idea of a farmer who's really entrusting himself to natural order, namely God, right? Because notice what it says it's about the early and the late rain. So part of that is talking about the culture of that day in Palestine. Okay, but the early and late rain, rains, it's such a beautiful picture. The early rain is what caused the seed to germinate and the plant to sprout. Okay, the late rain is what actually brought strength to the stalk so that when they come back to harvest it, it wouldn't just destroy it. Right? And so what's that picture of waiting on God is that we, that we would learn to be a people that are strengthened by God, but what's necessary the word that's used? The word receive. Look at it again. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. I mean, oftentimes our hearts aren't receptive to, God's, to God growing us. It's like, no, we're firm. Like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be patient. I don't, don't want to endure the reality that you're doing a work to bring about a fruit in my life. I just want what I want now. And if you're not going to give it to me now, then I'm going to go. And James is saying, no. Patience, godly patience that endures fruit is like a farmer who waits and who trusts God and is receptive to the mercy of God and the grace of God um, look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 3. It says, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. And don't we hate that? Can we just be honest here for a second? Like, I hate that. Because I want to plant, and I want to water, and I want to be the one that determines what kind of growth we have. Is anybody else with me? Like, I hate that. But it's part of faith. It's part of trusting God. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. It's encouraging. You're nothing. <laughs> but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we, check this out, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. God's doing a work in us to bring about a fruit in us that we would know him and walk in him and be people that understand his joy more deeply than we ever have before. That's part of waiting. Like the farmer, and the joy and the gladness when the, the crops and the produce and the fruit is seen and enjoyed. But keep going. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So there's a waiting that, that here in this passage is talking about waiting in strength. Um, I, I want to focus on the phrase establish, establish your heart. So what does it mean to be established? Anybody? What does it mean to, be, to establish something? The word establish. So the illustration comes to my mind. So for 20 years... My parents lived in the same house um, from when I was a kid to about college. 
And the day came when, when they had to move. It was awful. Why? Well, one, we grew up in that house, and we love that house, and there's lots of memories in the house. But two, they were established, right? It's like they'd been there for 20 years. It took two trucks with several trips to get all of the stuff from the house that was established to the new house. Why? Because they were established. They lived there. They'd cultivated life there. They'd customized things and made, this is how we want it to look. This is how we want it to work. This is where, I don't like this shelf. We're going to tear this shelf down. We're going to build this shelf. We're going to put this in the backyard. We're going to put this roof on. We're going to put this fence around. We're here. And we're laying ground. We're laying roots. We're established. This is home. Okay, now I'll go back to the text. You also be patient. Ugh, I don't want to wait. I don't want to be patient. So how do we overcome or how do we endure patience? Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Okay, think about that. This idea of, of establish literally means to cause someone to become stronger in the sense of more firm and unchanging in attitude or belief. To support. Okay, it's, here, here's the difference. Have you ever had to wait for a really long time like in an airport? Or have you ever been sick out of the country and you had to like wait in the hotel or wherever you were? And where did you long to be? Home. Right? Home. It's like if I got to wait, I want to be home. I want to be in my bed, in front of my TV, on my couch, where I have a refrigerator, where my heart is established. Like this is home. What is James talking about? Establishing our hearts where we're home in the Lord. Right? It's like, we're like, where do we, like when, we're, when we're waiting, where do we run? Gosh, I just, I just need to be with the Lord. I just need my heart to be rested in the Lord, which can really paint a picture here about how we live our life. Are we a people that, like, when things don't go well, we just run? When things are hard, we got to get out of here. Are we people that say, no, we're established here because this is where the Lord wants us to be. We're not going to give up. We're not going to quit. Our hearts are established here because God's strengthening and, and taking us deeper into him. And this is where he's called home to be. And that's where joy is found. And that's where rest is found. And that's where we experience Notice the word heart. All over the Bible, and even James uses the word heart to depict really what's central to God, God's work in our lives is that not that it would just be this outward thing, but it actually be the changing of our hearts. Because here's the, here's the struggle, is that waiting's hard, but in waiting, God's doing a work in us. Okay, In waiting, your faith is proved. There's no proof of your faith when you quit, right? Okay, running or quitting or bailing. James is like, no, God wants to do a work in your heart. He wants to establish your heart in him, in your waiting. But then I love the next verse. You're like, why do you love the next verse? Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another. 
brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So waiting, who is James talking about regarding waiting? People. Right? Um, if you've ever had to wait alone, it can be hard. Unless you're like an introvert and you don't like people and you're like, I'd rather be alone. But James is saying that the means by which we're people that waits and God establishes our heart is that we'd be a people. Okay, rarely ever. Um, I have a buddy who's about to finish up his PhD in studying the New Testament, so he's just incredibly smart. And I asked him about this idea of what it means to be the church. And he said one of the massive conceptions that we have about all the places in the Bible that, that define the church is that rarely ever when the Bible especially in the New Testament, even the Old Testament talk about the church, rarely ever is it referring to an individual. But it's always this idea of God saving us into a people. This people. God saving us into this people that would be a people that what? Would not grumble against one another. Right? Because when, when we're waiting and waiting is hard, what do we want? We want to realize that, gosh, we need each other. We need to be together. God's designed us to be a people together that are waiting together. I remember when my dad broke his neck a couple years back. And I remember sitting in the waiting room. My dad's in surgery. And I remember sitting in the waiting room. And I just remember so many friends coming and just being there with us and just waiting with us. Just waiting. Just talking, telling stories, laughing, praying together. Just waiting with us. Because that's what you need. That's God's design. That's God's heart is that we'd be a people that while we're waiting for whatever God's doing, ultimately for his return, he's invited us into this. He's invited us into a community of people that we eagerly long for what he's doing together. And what is that going to demand? It's going to require that we be a people that are patient with each other. I mean, you guys have families, right? You know how it goes down when you're not patient with and loving and like, what happens when you grumble against family members and hold grudges? It's like, I don't want to be with them. It's like Thanksgiving's coming. Woohoo, can't wait. I'd rather not go. You know, I didn't mean to make light of some situations for some of you okay but james is arguing that as people there's a deep call to community here that we fight together for one another not against one another okay look at how we, how uh, peter puts it in first peter four the end of all things is at hand therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers So he's like, the end is near. The return of the Lord is near. You're waiting on God's return, which is work, which is hard hard work. What do you do? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. You know what I love about that? It's like, you're sinners together, that are to wait together and do the work of God together. And let's just make it clear that you're going to sin against one another. You're going to believe the lies of the enemy, and you're going to be a people that doubts God. 
So what do we do in the midst of that? We love. We love. We draw in. We draw near. Let's love each other. Can I just challenge us to be that? Where are we? Think about that. Where are you not loving people? Where is your love not really covering a multitude of sins because you're not wanting to love? You're wanting to condemn. Love covers a multitude of sins. Which is important. Why? Because look at, look at the end of verse 9. What does he say? Do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged because the judge is standing at the door. So there's an accountability. Right? So it's this reminder that like there's a judgment day. Like no one, no one likes that idea, right? No one likes that concept. Um, so one of the things that I have the joyful opportunity to do in being bivocational and being the high-end artist that I am in sandwiches um, is that uh, we have monthly evaluations and quarterly evaluations. We have monthly evaluations from Subway Corporate, and we have quarterly evaluations from the health department. Okay, That we have to give an account for who we are and what we're doing because this business is not our own, right? Especially when it comes to like feeding the bodies of customers. I can't just put whatever I want in the food. Like it's really good if I spit in it. You want some? That's going to be a problem. It's probably going to get a shut down. And so like there's an account, there's accountability that we have to maintain a certain standard. We have to maintain a level of cleanliness. We have to be a certain kind of restaurant to be able to be a restaurant, right? That makes sense. And you guys, in your industries, in your businesses, you can think of the same thing. In education, in business world, there's, there's, there's things that are required to walk out what you're walking out. Or they're going to come and say, this isn't good. We're going to shut you down. There's an accounting that happens. The same thing happens, like, listen, this life is not our own. Our faith is not our own. It's a work of God. It's a gift of God. Look at a couple passages. If you're like, can you talk about this judgment thing a little bit more? I'm glad you asked. Um, Revelation 3.20. Look at what it says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Don't you love when people come And you're just like, it's like the, the guy who's like, hey, I notice you, your, uh, your firewood is uh, two-thirds low, and uh, I do firewood. I'm like, go away. You know? It's this picture of someone standing at the door, knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So when James in this passage is talking about God standing at the door as the judge, what is that talking about? It's near. It's near. There's an accounting that's near. 1 Peter 4, 5 says this, but they will give an account to him ready to judge the living and the dead. That there's going to come a day when we give an account for our life. And ultimately, the ultimate account is going to be this. Do you trust in Jesus as the means to your right standing before, before me? Or do you trust in your own work? in your own life, in your own doing. Like James says in 5.5, 5, is God going to say you lived your life in luxury and self-indulgence? 
You fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. Look at Revelation 20. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, for his present for his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what had, they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What is that talking about? It's talking about the judgment. And what determines the end? Don't don't misread what it says, judged according to what they had done, as if like, I got to work my way into being the satisfying person to God. When we stand before God, listen, the only means by which God says, come on, come into my joy, is that we'd be a people that says, my life is marked by Jesus because of who Jesus is and his saving work in me, not because of anything that you've done. Anything. So whether you're a Christian in the room or a non-Christian in the room, let me just make this really, really clear. The end is coming. I had a girl that I used to work with. Um, I asked her, what do, you, what do you think the point of life is? And this is literally what she said. To die. I was just like, wow, what a joyful thing to wake up to every single morning. The point of my life is that I will die. But you know what that reminded me of? Is that we will die. And, and there will be a judgment. And we will give an account for our life. And the only hope that we have in that moment is were we a people that said our life was marked by the broken body and shed blood of Jesus in who he is, not in what we've done. It's the only hope. It's the only hope. Does that mark your life? Is that your hope? As you wait, there's a day coming. As you wait, what's your hope in? Look at the last three verses. As an example of suffering and patience, Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider them blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. One of the things that, here's, here's what James is telling us, that in our waiting we'd be a people that look to the people that were faithful. Okay. Who, who does he point out? What are the two different people groups? Person and the people group. Prophets. So the saints of old. And this guy named, looks like Job, but it's not. It's Job. Job. So what do we know about the prophets? What do we know about the saints of old? Much of their writing is marked by this idea of, of pain and suffering, right? Listen to how Hebrews puts it. This, this text always just makes me want to cry um, and celebrate at the same time. Hebrews 11. Um, and what more shall I say for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, 
Okay, so now he's going to go on to talk about here's who the prophets were. Verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, abstained Obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were torched, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went in about skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about. In deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That's insane. And then you ever read that and you're like, those are people that believed God. They trusted God. That's why James in one twelve says that there's a blessing for those who remain steadfast under trial. For they will receive the crown of life. There's a reward in the waiting. That's why Matthew talks about there's a blessing for those who persecuted. There's, there's blessing for those who are reviled. Great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. Why? Because the weight of faith is proof of faith. Like when we wait in faith, it proves our faith. Yet a lot of times God's allowing us to be tested to prove the reality, but also to establish our hearts in Him. Together, as a people that are together. Here's the, if I could sum it up this way. The weight, is, the weight of faith is endured by a faith that waits. Because faith is weighty. There's a weightiness to our faith. There's a weightiness, like oftentimes, like, there's times we just would rather bail on what God's doing and who he wants, what He wants to do in our hearts. Anybody with me here? Absolutely. It's like, let's just move on. Like what you're doing, this is hard. Living in North County, being a small church, having, you know, family. Like, there's, there's all these different things we could list and talk about. And it's like, can we just, there's got to be something better. And God's like, the way you endure the weightiness of faith is that you'd be a people that learn to wait. And trust and believe God. It's like Job. What do we know about Job? He was this guy who, what happened to him? He lost everything. Everything. And what happened? God restored him and God did a mighty work. And he had, he had a community, right? They were awfully, he had like terrible friends that just discouraged him and spoke awfully about the Lord and bail on God. Things that James is trying to argue here is that we'd be a people like Job and like the prophets who learn in community to wait. Um, I found this book, and I just want to point it out to you. It's phenomenal. Um, it's called Slow Church. And here's the idea. is What does it look like to be a people that aren't in such a hurry to see God do things? But that we'd be a people that would press in and trust, and see the work of the gospel planted in our own hearts and in our community. Because we've tried to streamline church, and it's all of our tendencies. But look at how, and this is kind of where I want to end. 
Look at verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Okay, that word compassionate literally means to suffer with. Now, we've become, and even one of the arguments that this book makes is we've become a culture that wants to outsource suffering with, right? Let me buy you some food, let me buy you some clothes, let me give you some money, and have a good day. And this idea here of the Lord is compassionate, what does that mean? It means he suffers with. He suffers with us. Like our world has become obsessed with overcoming suffering. How can we get rid of this? Even in people's lives, when there's people that are like high maintenance or high needs and like, so, like their, their lives are hard, we're like, you know, you know, like, come on Sunday and we'll give you something and see ya. Like, but don't come into my life because, no, that's who God is. He's a God who's compassionate, who suffers with us. Patience is how compassion is embodied in our lives. Enduring with people. Listen to how the authors of Slow Church put it. Patience means to enter actively into the thick of life and to fully bear the suffering within and around us. Defining patience this way reveals the error not only in avoiding the suffering of others, but also in trying to fix the suffering of others without entering into it. The road toward healing and reconciliation is the patient, compassionate way of Jesus. And so what is the challenge for us this morning? Is that we be a people that learn to wait. Like the farmer in strength and in community and in accountability with faithfulness. Why? Because the weight of faith is endured by faith that waits. Let's pray and prepare to respond to the Lord. God, I confess to you this morning that oftentimes I believe that there's a way better than the way you're going. I confess to you this morning that I oftentimes believe that you don't know what you're doing. But God, I thank you for the reminder this morning to trust. I thank you for the reminder this morning to be a people that wait. Not in laziness and distance, but in a way that allows our hearts to be established that our home is you and where you've called us and the patient work of the gospel to see sanctification brought about in our own hearts and in our own lives together as a community. God, remind us that we need one another. God, as we wait together for all that you're doing, 
Um, so God, thank you for your grace. We trust you. We love you in Christ's name.